We have the use of the Daksha Yaga to explain how these extremely difficult diseases come into being. On from if we look on the inside, we can explain how an individual can come into difficulty when that individual gets too egotistical and think they have become very clever and they can do all kinds of um, spiritual practices and all kinds of sacrifices and they are very adept at it because Deksha in that way represents the internal personal ego. And if you try to do some kind of worship without inviting the supreme reality of the cosmos, that is not concerned with distinctions like good or bad or auspicious or inauspicious. If you're trying too much to be too holy, you're going to get into trouble. Welcome to Living with Reality, a podcast featuring archived teachings and modern conversations with Dr. Robert Svoboda. Brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Living with Reality explores Ayurveda and other wisdom traditions of India, which Dr. Svoboda has been studying for nearly 50 years. For more information, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dr. Svoboda. That's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A. Hello and welcome to Living with Reality. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host, and I'm the one who's helped support Dr. Sabota in envisioning his online business and his courses, which you can see all of on his website, drsvoboda.com. And today on our episode, Dr. Sabota is telling the story of Daksha's Yaga. This is a really important story to kind of unpack. And he does a really good job of that. And to kind of set the tone for the later stories, it really pulls out the character of Shiva, who is married to Sati, whose father is Daksha. So all of that will be told in the story. And if you're interested in learning more with Dr. Svoboda, he has many, many online courses that you can find at drsvoboda.teachable.com. There's about 200 hours worth of teachings there, including courses on Shiva, on the Ramayana. There's a telling of the Ramayana there. So if you love hearing Dr. Svoboda tell stories, that is a great one to check out. There's also a course on Hanuman. There's one on the Devi. There's so many courses on Ayurveda and Jyotisha and other topics of the, the Indian sciences. So we hope you enjoy this episode and we will connect with you next time. Om Shriganashaya Namaha Vakritanda Mahakaya Surukoti Samaprabha Nirvignam Kurume Deva Sarvakaryeshu Sarvadam Om Ring Namashivaya Tasme Shri Gurave Namaha Sharanagata Dinata Paritana Parayane Sarvasyartere Devi Narayani Namastute Om Namo Bhagavate Rudraya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 
Greetings. Today's story is about Daksha. Daksha and his Yaga or Yednya. Yaga and Yednya both mean sacrifice, big Vedic sacrifice, usually. And Daksha was a Prajapati, uh, which is almost is very similar to the word in English, progenitor. So he was the son of the creator, Brahma. And the word Daksha means the skilled one. Some people say he was he was called that because he was skilled at all the tasks he was doing as the progenitor of the world. Some people say he was mainly skilled at being a progenitor because by one of his wives, he had 24 daughters. By another wife, he had 62 daughters. And some sources even say that he had 60 more daughters. So he was definitely prolific when it came to being a progenitor. Sati, and that means the truthful one, or sati can also even mean truth itself, was the youngest daughter of his first wife. And sati was Daksha's pet. Sometimes she was even called Dakshayani because Daksha means Daksha, and Ayana means path. Uh, so that means she followed sometimes, probably as a baby, she used to follow behind Deksha as he walked around, following directly in his path. As she got older, however, as is so often the case, there came to be a, 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 a lack of understanding between father and daughter on the subject of who the father, who the daughter wanted to marry. The father wanted her to marry some powerful Rishi or Muni or or Devata, God, some powerful astral being, because that would improve the standing of Daksha's family. There would be a marital alliance, etc. And Sati, from an early age, fell in love with Shiva. And Shiva was not the kind of person that Daksha felt would fit well into the family. He was not the sort of person that felt well into any society. In fact, he led a very modest life. He wore an animal skin. He smeared the ashes of cremated bodies on his body. He had thick dreadlocks, thick locks of matted hair. And He was focused on samadhi. He was focused on being connected to the supreme reality. Moreover, he didn't have a fancy palace. He lived on Mount Kailash in the Himalayas. He didn't make any distinction between good individuals and bad individuals. In fact, his gunas, his followers, uh, were mostly ghosts, demons, goblins, ghouls, and other vampires, other negative individuals. Negative from the point of view of Daksha. So it's useful to also note here that the word Daksha, from which we get the word Dakshina, uh, which in Sanskrit means right, like the right hand. Daksha means right, like the right hand, but Daksha, as as in English, Daksha also means right as opposed to wrong. 
the word daksha in Sanskrit and the word dextrous in English come from that same original Proto-Indo-European root. Shiva, on the other hand, is definitely from the Vama Marga. Vama means left. And Vama also means things like left-handed tantra and agora and things that are not, don't fit really well into polite society. And we also, in English, have the, we use the word sinister, which literally means the left. We use that to mean something that is not wholesome, something that is slightly off. So Daksha thought of Shiva as being sinister. Shiva didn't waste a whole lot of time thinking about Daksha at all because he was in Samadhi most of the time. Daksha did not want to have Shiva as a son-in-law. Shiva was not even thinking about it. Sati was thinking about it, however. She was focused on Shiva. And Shiva, after probably quite some period of time, started to notice that she was focused on him and checked the Renanu Bandanas and noticed that uh, apparently she is, I'm supposed to marry her. But he thought, what's the hurry? Let's see how this works out. Um, he was noticing her because she was undergoing severe austerities. And Daksha thought, I've got to salvage this situation somehow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to organize a swayamvara. So that means a situation where a an eligible young bachelorette decides for herself who she's going to marry. Even back at that time, even nowadays in many parts of the world, including India, many families decide who their children are going to marry on the basis of who the parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts think is the right person to marry for that child. But even back at this time, certain individual uh, young women were permitted to choose their own spouse. So what Daksha thought is, I shall dazzle her with all the uh, eligible gods and yakshas who are demigods and gandharvas who are semigods and other, other eligible astral bachelors. So it was a, I'm sure it could have, you know, been, had there been astral television back then, it certainly, it could have been broadcast to the entire cosmos and this would have been extremely fascinating. Who Daksha did not invite was Shiva himself because he thought, I'm going to make Sati so enamored of somebody other than Shiva that she'll forget Shiva. Of course, this did not work. In fact, Daksha decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to insult Shiva by building a statue of him so that um, I didn't invite him, but I will show that, in fact, there is such a god as Shiva and here's the statue, but we're, we're not including him here. However, when Sati found this out, she didn't waste any time. She went directly to the statue of Shiva and garlanded it. Shiva, of course, had been watching from a distance since he can figure out anything he wants to if he is in the mood. So as soon as she did that, he appeared and said, Oh, Sati, you have garlanded my statue. I accept you as my wife. And let's go to Kailash. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the, the, the basically what he said. Daksha naturally was disappointed. And um, 
But he had a bunch of other daughters, so he was thinking, well, I mean, my pet has gone off with Shiva, but uh, this is fate. What shall I do, Egad? But he was just disappointed until Brahma, his father, the creator, conducted a huge yaga, a huge yadna, a huge sacrifice. And all the prajapatis, gods, kings of the world, everybody who was important in the cosmos, were, were they were all invited including Shiva and Sati, because Brahma knew better than to not invite Shiva because Shiva had already chopped off one of his heads. So Brahma was a chastened person. And he could have advised his son, Daksha, about this, and maybe he did, but in any event, Daksha had a a more than healthy ego. And um, so... Everybody had been invited. Everyone was there. Daksha made his appearance last because he wanted, as a result of his overly healthy ego, he wanted to show everybody just how important he was. So he he sashayed in Daksha. Oh, and everybody knew how important Daksha was. So everybody rose and they showed reverence for him, except Brahma, because Brahma was his father, why would he why would he can't show reverence to his son? It's a vice versa thing. And Shiva did not rise because Shiva was his son-in-law and the son-in-law of his favorite daughter. And in India, I'm guessing here, but definitely it is the case that in India, after a girl is married and goes to a different family, there is a very the father-in-law and son-in-law, the, the, there are very strict rules about how they interact. So Shiva was following one pattern of uh, interacting behavior, and Daksha clearly thought that he should be standing up. Daksha took this as an insult, and he decided that he was therefore going to insult Shiva in a, sing- in a similar kind of way. So now Daksha is royally pissed off, his ego has been hurt, and he is thinking, I have to teach this Shiva a lesson. So after some time, after the excitement of this particular sacrifice had died down, Daksha announced his own grand yaga, yajna, sacrifice, similar to the one that Brahma had just performed. The famous Rishi Brugu was invited to preside over the event, and he accepted, and all of the gods and prajapatis and kings of the world, etc., who had been invited to Brahma's sacrifice were invited to Daksha's sacrifice, except for Shiva and Sati. And this, of course, was a major problem. Um, But Shiva did not feel terribly bad about it because he knew that Daksha had been, Shiva knows these things. Shiva knew that Daksha had been pissed off. Shiva knew that Daksha was trying to insult him. So Shiva was thinking, he is my father-in-law. I know how tenderly Sati feels about him. I am not going to, I could easily chop his head off, but that that would needlessly make my wife unhappy. I'm not going to do that. I'm simply going to sit quietly and ignore the situation. So the sacrifice began. 
And the interesting thing, of course, about the sacrifice, is these sorts of sacrifices, is they can, they can go on for long periods of time, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years. So this was an ongoing thing. This was not like, let's show up and we will have a sacrifice for a few hours and then we'll quit and, and all go back to our homes. No, this was an ongoing deal. And there were individuals who were feeling uneasy about this from the beginning. One prominent one among them was a very prominent rishi named Dadichi. And the Kurma Purana, uh, a important uh, holy text, the Kurma Purana describes the interaction between this sage, Dadichi, and Daksha. And while the sacrifice was going on and certain offerings were being made, Dadichi noted that nothing was being offered to Shiva or to Sati. And no hymns allotted to Shiva were being recited. And it is true that Shiva, in his original version as Rudra, who is a storm god, Rudanti, Dravanti, he who makes your tears flow, very powerful, but not particularly auspicious. In fact, sometimes Rudra is called Shiva in the texts, not as a, in the Veda, not as a name, but as an epithet. You are auspicious, kind of saying, actually, you're not that auspicious. But we are saying you're auspicious because maybe if we do, you'll start behaving kind of sort of in an auspicious way, maybe. Thank you. And, but uh, despite being relatively inauspicious, Rudra was still allotted part of the Vedic sacrifice. Now, admittedly, he was only allotted the Uchishta. He was allotted the leftovers. But still, he was being given something. Deksha, however, was giving him nothing. And Dadishi said, you know, you better not do this. You are insulting Shiva. You are, you, you are altering the uh, dispensation of the Vedas, according to which various devatas, various gods, get various portions of the sacrifice. Um, you may be adept, but you're not that adept. You may be a clever guy, but you're not that clever. And Daksha said, oh, yeah? And Dadechi said, yeah. And Daksha said, well, who cares for you? And Dadechi said, well, I care for me, and I care for my health, safety and health, and this is not going to go well because you're insulting Shiva. So I tell you what, goodbye. I'm leaving the Yadnya. And, um, and off he went. And, of course, possible this, possibly this is because he may have not wanted to get beheaded again. He had already been beheaded once. Why and how? Because Dadichi had a special kind of knowledge called the Madhu Vidya. Madhu means sweet, Madhu means honey, but in this case, Madhu means the nectar of immortality. And so he had this ability to make, to create immortal beings. And this made Indra, the king of the gods, very insecure, because Indra is also very, always very insecure, because Indra is always afraid that somebody else wants to become the king of the gods. This is 
whenever you get to become king or president or prime minister, or whatever it is, you would think, ha, ah, you should have no worries anymore. In fact, your worries are even bigger because you can be sure somebody wants to take you down and replace you. So Indra was very insecure because he knew that Dadichi had this knowledge that he did not have. And then he became more insecure when he discovered that the Ashwin twins wanted to learn this Madhuvidya. So Indra said, oh yeah, that's not going to happen. So Indra swore an oath. And that oath was, whoever teaches the Madhuvidya to the Ashwins, I shall behead, I shall chop the head off of. And so this naturally created a little bit of a problem. But the Ashwin twins decided that they would still like to have this Madhuvidya, and they figured out a way to do it. So what they did was they first said to Dadichi, teach us the Vidya, and then what we'll do is put another head on your body after we chop off your head, and then when Indra comes to chop off your head, he'll be chopping off the second head, and then we'll replace your original head on that body. The Ashwins uh, are the physicians for the gods, and the Ashwins are well known for replacing limbs that have been chopped off and doing all kinds of interesting uh, surgical operations that uh, are even difficult to do nowadays. They replaced Dadichi's, and they went ahead with this plan. They replaced Dadichi's head with the head of a horse. Indra was very pissed off, came around, got to reach Dadichi, chopped off his head without really looking at what was going on, because otherwise he would have noted Dadichi had a horse head, and then he would have thought, how did Dadichi get the head of a horse when he didn't have one yesterday? But he was just annoyed, and he just beheaded him. And then as soon as that head was removed, the Ashwins replaced Dadichi's original head, revived him with the Madhu Vidya that he had taught them, and then Dadichi started to become known as Ashva Shirsha. Ashva meaning horse and Shirsha meaning head. And this is very interesting because, of course, the Ashwins are twins and they have the heads of horses. Uh, and they have the heads of horses because they were born after the sun god Vivaswan and his wife Sonya engaged in lovemaking on earth in the form of a stallion and a mare after Sanya had come to earth and Vivaswan had not even noticed that she was gone and had children on her shadow, including Saturn. That's a whole different story. But the point is <clears throat> that uh, horses were involved in this whole situation. Dadichi had already been beheaded. He didn't want this to happen again. And he decided to say, sayonara, Deksha. And, of course, this also is very much tied in with the story of Venus, the uh, planet Venus, otherwise known as Shukracharya, and the son of Jupiter, Kacha, who came to Shukracharya, who had the Sanjeevani Vidya, which could bring the dead back to life. And Kacha fell in love with Shukracharya's daughter, Devyani, and then the Asuras, 
who in Shukracharya Venus is the guru of the Asuras. They didn't like that, so they killed Kutch. Shukracharya brought him back to life. They killed him again, brought him back to life. This time they they incinerated him. They mixed the ashes into some alcohol, uh, some kind of mead or something like that. Gave it to Shukracharya. He drank it down. And then when Devyani insisted that he bring Kutch back to life again, he noticed that Kutch was, in fact, in his stomach because he had drunk him. And then he had to teach Devyani the Sanjeevani Vidya, and Kutch was listening from his belly. And, and then um, Devyani brought Kutch back to life. Kutch exploded Shukracharya. Kutch and Devyani brought Shukracharya back to life. And Again, it was this similar kind of thing. Okay, it was not a head being chopped off, but it was very similar. And this is a noteworthy thing to uh, note here because Shukracharya was the son of the Rishi Brugu who was running Daksha's Yaga. So uh, Dadichi, who was paying attention to this situation, realized that the situation was not at all good. Brugu, who should have been paying attention, uh, apparently was not paying attention, maybe because he was, who knows, proud of being chosen to manage Daksha's sacrifice. Anyway, everything would have been fine had Sati not come to know that there was a big sacrifice going on. And Sati said to Shiva, Let's go to the yaga. Let's go to the sacrifice. And Shiva said, well, we weren't invited. It's not at all appropriate to come to this, this experience, this sacrifice, because we haven't been invited. And Shiva pointed out, we were deliberately not invited. You know, your father doesn't like me. You know that he feels that we insulted him. You know all of this stuff. He didn't want us to get married in the first place. Let's just let it go by. Why, why, why? But no, she she became obstinate. She became determined that she needed to go. And she had this entire rationalization in her head. He is, I am his favorite daughter. Uh, there's no formality between us. That's why he didn't invite us because he, there, we, I don't need an invitation. Let's go. And Shiva said, no, let's not go. But she pleaded and begged and wheedled. And after a while, Shiva said, okay, okay, okay. Why don't you go? I'm not going to go because he'll just get even more royally angered if I happen to show up there. And that is not going to be good for anybody. So why don't you just go? You can take Nandi here, the bull on whom we ride around, and he can go with you. And here are some of my gunas, some of my ghouls, goblins, etc. They can go as your retinue. And I'm staying here. I'm going to monitor the situation. Everything will be fine, maybe. And just go. Don't hang around for a long time and come back. Thanks. See you soon. And so Sati went and she arrived there. And she tried to meet her parents and sisters um, and reluctantly they met her, but they were, they had an eye on Daksha who they didn't want, uh, to know they were meeting Sati. And, um, Daksha, of course, was avoiding Sati entirely. He was behaving very arrogantly. He kept snubbing her when she tried to meet with him in front of various dignitaries, but she kept 
trying to meet him. And eventually, he felt like he simply had to tell her what the situation really was. So he said, Sati, you were my pet, but those days are gone now. You have grown up. You have married Shiva. And unfortunately, Shiva is an atheist who lives in a cremation ground. You were not fit for polite society anymore because this was your choice. You chose. I did not marry you to him. You chose. And you chose to go live in this outcast society. You have abandoned good society. The good people, uh, honestly, they don't really want to have anything to do with you anymore. And, and I'm speaking for them because I am the number one good person because I am Daksha. So please please just slink off and stop pretending that you belong here anymore. So Sati, who had been feeling kind of, you know, uh, bubbly and effusive and so on, all of a sudden sobered up instantaneously. And she thought, oh my God, I am feeling great remorse because I did not listen to my husband, Lord Shiva, who, after all, is one of the supreme gods of the cosmos and spends all of his time in samadhi focusing on reality. And, and I was blinded by my love for my father, who does not deserve it. So she said to her father, and I am paraphrasing, you don't have any clue what you're up to. You don't have any clue of the distance, the difference between you and Shiva. You are arrogant. You are haughty. You have been blinded by your pride. I'm going to curse you now. And I'm going to curse you that Shiva, who is going to be very annoyed by what's going to happen right now, is going to destroy you, destroy all of your this empire of yours that's existing in your head you are going to now experience reality in a very direct kind of way. And I'm not going to be around to see it because I feel polluted by this body that I am carrying around that has emerged from you. I can't carry this anymore. So awakening her kundalini energy, she incinerated herself from the inside, left her body, and departed. Various onlookers tried to save her, but all they could save was her body that had been burnt from the inside. Of course, everybody was very shocked because, you know, one of daughter, one of Daksha's daughters had immolated herself at the sacrifice. This is highly, highly, highly inauspicious. Nandi, Shiva's uh, Wahan, Shiva's uh, vehicle, and the Gunas, the attendants of Shiva who had arrived, said uh, goodbye to all of you. Mm, you're, and uh, 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 we're not going to say we hope that things are going to go well with sacrifice because very clearly that's not going to be the case. So they went back to Shiva. After cursing Daksha, and everybody there, Brugu cursed them in return. There were all kinds of curses flying left and right. It did not take very long 
I mean, we don't even know if Nundi got back before Shiva figured out what had happened. And he was overwhelmed with rage to the degree that he did not even bother becoming angry on the surface. He simply took one hair from his head, one single hair from his dreadlocks, his matted locks, and tossed it on the ground. Some people say that from that one hair was created Virabhadra. Some people say he threw it on the ground, broke it into two, and he created both Virabhadra and Bhadrakali. That word Bhadra means auspicious. And as with Shiva, it's like auspicious in an ultimate sort of sense, but maybe not in a relative sense, because Virabhadra was a gigantic, extremely powerful, and highly murderous hero. Vira means hero. So Virabhadra means Mr. Auspicious Hero, and Bhadrakali means Ms. Auspicious um, Embodiment of uh, Divine Retribution. Sort of, kind of. Anyway, whether there was one of them or two of them, Shiva ordered him or them to immediately go, go, go to Daksha, kill him, destroy the sacrifice, and come back and report to me. Um, And so they, and now all of Shiva's attendants, hundreds of millions of ghouls, demons, vampires, goblins, and other ne'er-do-well spirits showed up at the sacrifice. When people saw what was going on, they became immediately terrified. Everybody except Brugu, who thought, ha-ha, I am a Rishi. I shall create an army, and I will, the Shiva's uh, attendants will never be able to stand in front of me. Ha-ha-ha, the joke was actually on Brugu, because instantly his army was demolished and the entire sacrificial area was totally ravaged. Everybody who was involved was beaten and wounded. So now we go to the Vayu Purana. And the Vayu Purana tells us that some goddesses had their noses cut. And in India, even today, to say that your nose has been cut, in the past it was literal, but even today you you might say that your nose was cut, and that represents a terrible insult. It's And naturally, walking around with no nose, you don't look that great. So they chopped off the noses of various goddesses. They broke Yama's staff. They pulled out Mitra's eyes. They trampled Indra. They knocked out Pushan's teeth. They, they heavily pummeled the moon. All of the progenitors, the Prajapatis, were beaten severely. Vahini's hands were chopped off. And depending on who you talk to, either Brugu's beard was cut off or the attendants of Shiva started plucking out Brugu's beard one hair at a time uh, so that each of them could have a souvenir of the event. Daksha attempted to flee, but it really did it no good because Virabhadra or Badrakali, or both of them, grabbed hold of him and chopped off his head. And that was that. So now, Daksha is dead. Everything is great from the point of view of Shiva. Everything is not great from the point of view of the cosmos, because this, he was a progenitor, after all, he was a prajapati, 
He had an important role in the cosmos. And this sacrifice was to make the cosmos work even better. And destroying the cosmos, uh, destroying the sacrifice, started to make the cosmos not work so good. And so Brahma and Vishnu went to Shiva and said, Oh, Shiva, we know you were grief-stricken. They spoke to him very carefully. And they said, but golly, uh, the universe is about to crater. And um, it's not time for that yet. Uh, so, yeah, you demolished the sacrifice and you killed Daksha. And we hope you're a little calmer now. But we, we're going to have to finish the sacrifice. It is a, a standard rule. Once you take the, the, the sankalpa that you're going to perform any kind of oma, puja, sacrifice, whatever it is, it has to be finished. That's the rule. So they said, you know the rule. This has to be finished. Uh, so, you know, please come pacify all of your gunas, all of your attendants. Let's finish the yaga, and then, and then that'll be bad. So Shiva said, okay. And then once they got there and, and they said, well, you know, actually, Daksha was the guy who was the Yajaman. He was the sacrificer for this Yaga. So we're going to have to bring him back to life somehow. So Shiva said, all right. Um, but of course, he was not willing to give Daksha his original head back because that would make him feel like he had... Uh, you know, Daksha might get some some pride back along with the head. So instead of that, Shiva gave him the head of a male goat. Now, a goat is usually the animal that was used in a Vedic sacrifice. So giving them the head of a goat was kind of sort of intended to mean that Daksha was the real sacrifice in this particular sacrifice, the real sacrificial animal. And forever after, he was going to have the head of a billy goat on his body to remind him that he had been sacrificed himself at his at his own sacrifice, and that now he had a a goat's head on his body, and he didn't look quite as handsome as he did before. Daksha, of course, was happy to be back alive, so he I don't know probably mad at Shiva saying thank you. Uh, because I'm now alive, and yes, you were a great god, and and Om Namah Shivaya. And Shiva said, yeah, yeah. Finish the sacrifice and shut up. Um, and so the sacrifice was finished, and this was great. Uh, of course, it was not totally great, because then Shiva, once he was at the sacrifice, found the half-incinerated body of his wife, and this set him off because Shiva is very, he's, he's very bola. He's very innocent, but that means he can be overwhelmed with anger or grief or he, he allows himself to experience things. So he was overwhelmed with grief. He was, he was grief stricken in the extreme and he grabbed her corpse and he just started wandering around the universe, screaming and crying, Rudra. Rudra. So now, instead of making other people cry, he was crying himself. Law of karma. So, some people say the Shaiva Puranas, the Puranas that are dedicated to Shiva, they say that little by little, pieces of Sati's body fell down to earth. 
Uh, the Vaishnava Puranas, the Puranas that are focused on Vishnu, say that, in fact, Vishnu chopped Sati's corpse into pieces with his Sudarshana chakra, his, his discus of Sudarshana, good sight. Whatever happened, 51 pieces of Sati's body fell to the earth, and they became the 51 Shaktipitas in India, and they represent the 51 letters in Sanskrit. And, of course, now there are more places that claim to be Shaktipitas than 51, but supposedly, originally, there were 51. And they are all around the country. The most important one is certainly where the yoni, the womb of Sati fell, and that is at the Kamakya shrine in just outside Guwahati in Assam. So once Shiva, uh, Sati's body was no longer there, Shiva calmed down somewhat and went to wander around some more and sat in Samadhi for a while. Sati, meanwhile, reincarnated as Parvati, daughter of King Himavan, who is the embodiment of the Himalaya. And just like Sati, and because there was a progression uh, going on, Parvati performed severe austerities. Shiva tested her. Eventually, they married, and they had to marry because now the gods needed a child of Shiva in order to become the generalissimo of their armies to attack this particular demon. And eventually that happened, and that, that child was named. Kartikeya, or Skanda, uh, known in South India as Murugan. So, this is basically the end of the story, except that it is not completely the end of the story. And it's not completely the end of the story because now we have to look a little bit at some of the other meanings of what this represents. And we'll look at three different potential meanings. One is that if you look in the treatise of the Charaka, it's the most famous Ayurvedic treatise, the Charaka Samhita, it has eight sthanas in it. And one complete sthana of eight chapters is filled with discourses about the pathology of the eight Mahagadas, the eight great diseases. And these diseases are mainly caused, directly or indirectly, by greed, malice, and anger. And the eight diseases are fever, hemorrhagic disease, phantom tumors, diabetes, and other recalcitrant urinary disorders, chronic skin diseases, especially leprosy, consumption, and back at that time, and even today, that mainly indicates pulmonary tuberculosis, insanity, and epilepsy. Of these seven, eight, uh, of these eight, seven emerged in the world as a direct result of the destruction of Daksha's Yaga, and the eighth 
and that is consumption. And nowadays, in addition to tuberculosis, this could be the cachexia of cancer. It could be the sort of consuming of the body that happens in a full-blown AIDS. It's a wasting away of the tissues. That came from a different event, but Daksha was involved in it also. And that happened when the moon, Daksha, remember, had a lot of daughters, and he had to marry them. And the moon elected to marry 28 of them, the 28 nakshatras. Some people say there were 27, because depending on whether you're in the Vedic world or the non-Vedic world, there were 28 nakshatras in the Vedic times, and in classical times, they got reduced to 27 for numerological reasons. And what happened was, after it is said that in the distant past, the moon was stationary in the sky. It was always full, and it was always in the nakshatra, the lunar constellation of Rohini. Rohini is, the main star in Rohini is Aldebaran. And if you want to see Aldebaran in the sky, it's not difficult to do it. It's near Orion. So the moon was married to 27 uh, nakshatra, or 28, 28 sisters, maybe 27. But the point is, he only was interested in one. He only lived in her mansion. He did not go anywhere else. And the other daughters, the other sisters, the other wives, they all became extremely annoyed because their husband was neglecting them. So they went to their father and they said, our husband is neglecting us. Please make him pay attention to us also. And Daksha, who was called adept, but did something that was really not very adept, and that was, he said, I curse the moon that he shall dwindle. And he started to dwindle. Now, of course, he was dwindling because he had been in using up too much of his unctuous element, his shukra, his semen, his ojas, uh, in sexual embrace with Rohini. And it is said that an important in Ayurveda, it said <clears throat> that an important cause for consumption is, particularly in men, the ex 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 excessive sexual indulgence that, that causes that very critical semen tissue to be exhausted, then the body can't create enough ojas, then the immunity weakens, and then something like tuberculosis or AIDS or cancer may supervene. So the moon was already a little bit on the low side when it came to Ojas, and now Daksha was causing him to dwindle even more. So Daksha was upset. The anger emerged from his mouth. It took on the form of this disease, and the disease went to the moon and started to suck out his vital juice. All of the daughters, including Rohini, went to the, their father and said, you know, uh, 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 the 27 other one said, Rohini is, uh, uh, whatever, you know, whatever about Rohini, but we have had nothing, no ability to enjoy our husband. And now you're caused him to wane. How's that going to help us? Huh? And Dexha said, OMG, now what have I done? So then he modified his curse and he said to the moon, okay, 
You're going to have to visit all of my daughters, which means you're going to have to go around the entire Zodiac, but you will only have to wane for half the month and then you'll, till you get to the new moon. And after that, you can wax for half the month until you get to the full moon, which was just about now. Just, just right after now, the moon has just been full. A few hours ago, it was a total fullness. Now it's waning again, thanks to Daksha, let's just say. But let's also note that that very curse on the moon, the law of karma does not respect anybody. That curse on the moon eventually came back to haunt Daksha, and it caused him to get cursed and to have curses be applied to everybody at that big sacrifice. So the origin of the destruction of Daksha's sacrifice was this curse that Daksha himself gave to his son-in-law. So it was a different son-in-law that paid Daksha back. Law of karma. Uh, it's a real bitch. So the other seven diseases that came were, number one, fever. And of course, here we're talking about chronic fevers that simply may be due to malaria, maybe due to who knows what, but fevers that are just, you can't, no matter what you do, you can't get rid of them. And that came directly, at anger, uh, the fever came directly out of Shiva's forehead. It's congealed anger fever. Next, we have um, hemorrhagic disease or raktapitta in Sanskrit. And it's said that this manifested because of the heat of the fever. And the phantom tumors were manifested because of the stress of various beings fleeing, swimming, running, flying, all trying to escape from the sacrifice. So a vata kind of situation, fear managed and vata aggravating. Prameha, diabetes and other obstinate urinary disorders, and kushta, obstinate skin diseases, including especially leprosy, manifest because everybody at the sacrifice had been consuming too much ghee, and suddenly, at when they, they had consumed this ghee, but before it had been digested, suddenly there was great terror and everybody had to flee, and this caused these two diseases. Unmada, mania, insanity, psychosis, manifested due to fear, apprehension, and grief. And apasmata, or epilepsy, manifested because of coming into contact with various kinds of unclean things, unclean beings like these attendants of Shiva, unclean objects like the weapons of those attendants, etc. So we have the use of the Daksha Yaga to explain how these extremely difficult diseases come into being. On, from If we look on the inside, we can explain how an individual can come into difficulty when that individual gets too egotistical and think they have become very clever and they can do all kinds of um, spiritual practices and all kinds of sacrifices and they are very adept at it. Because Daksha in that way represents the internal personal ego. And if you try to do some kind of worship without inviting the supreme reality of the cosmos that is not concerned with distinctions like good or bad or auspicious or inauspicious, if you're trying too much to be too holy, 
you're going to get into trouble and possibly have your head chopped off. So Daksha represents that limited personality. Sati represents the Kundalini Shakti. Shiva represents, of course, the supreme reality. And Daksha tries to separate Sati from Shiva, but Sati goes back immediately and reconnects to Shiva. And the body is Daksha's sacrifice. And when this happens, Daksha has his head chopped off. And only if there is some blessing from someone, once you have your Kundalini Shakti really activated, are you going to be able to remain in this world? Only if Shiva is willing to bless you, are you going to get your head back? But it'll be a different head. It'll be a sacrificed head. The third way in which this uh, story is important is that it represents, and there are other stories that represent this also, including, for example, the story of Krishna holding Mount Govardhan on his pinky finger. This represents the shift that happened in India over an extended period, let's just say between 3,000 and 2,000 years ago, when there was a shift between the Vedic way of looking at the world and the Vedic gods and the Puranic and Pauranic and Tantric way of looking at the world and the Pauranic and Tantric deities. So Daksha and Pushan and all Mitra and Varuna, these are all Vedic deities. And Shiva, Brahma and Vishnu, these are all Pauranic and Tantric deities. So this is a symbolic indication that there was a big shift between how human beings were interacting with the astral world and with the beings in the astral world with which we have relationships and how those relationships were recast in the classical age when so many things changed. Sanskrit changed, Ayurveda changed, Jyotish changed, Vastu changed, uh, 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 everything changed. So it was. It, it's a representation of how that shift occurred and how Rudra, who was originally a storm god who only got the leftovers, the uchishta of the sacrifice, came to be central and how Vishnu, who was a minor solar deity, came to be central and how Prajapati, who was sometimes Brahma is called Prajapati, who was very important in the Vedic era, is still, you know, a member of the Trinity, but who cares for Brahma? There's only one really important Brahma temple in all of India in Pushkar. So Daksha and his yaga, his sacrifice and its destruction is a wonderful myth that en encompasses lots and lots of different things. But mainly, there is one most important moral take-home message from this, which is never insult the supreme reality, always keep your ego in check. Om Namah Shivaya.